Home. It is more than four walls and a roof. Home is a feeling. I'm Jennifer Stagg, and I believe that home is the most important place on the planet. Here, I dive into all things home, whether it's tips from my latest DIY project or interviews that examine what gives a house that something special. Join me as I get to the heart of the home. We've had a lot going on. Yes, we have. <laughs> that's. I think that's just a given lately. We've had several conversations lately like, is this just how life is now? Is this just how life is? Yep, it we've, is. We've been running what feels like a million miles a minute between, you know, just raising three small children and all of our client and work responsibilities and... Uh, commitments to being normal humans <laughs> just feels like feels like a lot lately. I've always said I'd much rather be really busy than really bored and I don't think we're going to be bored ever. maybe ever <laughs> again. <laughs> we have so much and and frankly it's an embarrassment of riches because we have so many fun exciting things to work on. Our biggest problem is picking which of those fun exciting things we want to focus on. So I feel like we're really blessed but comes with its challenges too. What have been the things that have been keeping you the most busy lately? Um, well, my day job is really busy. And so the year end is always really kind of crazy, keeping a lot of projects going, a lot of deals that want to close by year end. Um, and then on top of that, all of our business stuff, I'm, I focus a lot on the business back end. So, you know, keeping the company's books, doing client invoicing, um, some of the operational stuff. So just plenty of really important, but behind the scenes kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, what's been keeping me the most busy lately? Uh, we have a lot of really exciting client projects that we've been kind of in the thick of. Um, we have a huge project. It's actually the biggest project we've ever done, which I feel like I keep saying that with every project. I'm like, <laughs> this is the biggest project we've ever done. This one's a Big, it's a big one. Been out. Of, it's an out of area uh, client project, so it's not local to our design firm. So we've been traveling back and forth, and it's a large house. It's Beautiful seven, house, seven thousand square feet plus, um, gorgeous, and it's wrapping up here pretty fast. And so uh, we've we've just been trying to make sure everything's in place for when we photograph it and do our final install coming up here real soon. So mm -hmm. that's been dominating a lot of my time. And I just feel like, you know, every stage of motherhood is really busy. And I've been told that, you know, this is, you know, mothers who have teenagers will tell me this is the easy stage. Um, <laughs> but mothers... They probably wouldn't have said that when they were in our stage. <laughs> when they were in the thick of it. Uh, but mothers who, ha you know, are in their 60s, most of them can recognize that this is a... It's just a very all-consuming, busy stage of life because our children are so little and they need... They're not very self-sufficient and they need constant care and management mm. and help and you know and so it's it just feels it feels a, like a lot yeah you know even last night in the middle of the night vivi woke up and needed to go potty and then she needed milk and then she wanted to cuddle and you know and it's just it just feels like a lot lately it just feels like a lot but all really wonderful 
wonderful things and exciting things coming up. We have some really exciting, fun collaborations coming up. So it's just Happy New Year. Yeah. Happy <laughs> New Year. Happy New Year. That's the best thing. I, I love January, end of December, beginning of January, where you're thinking about, okay, let's take stock of what the last year was like and what went well, what didn't go well. What goals did we have for the year that we accomplished? What didn't we accomplish? What do we want this next year to look like? I'm I'm a big goal setter planner, and I'm so not at all. I, and so are you. And <laughs> so we we kind of geek out on this time of year and what we can do. I think there's just so much potential in this next year, and I'm really excited to get after it. Yeah, this is one of my favorite time of year uh, times of year because I love just that feeling of like a reset mm-hmm. button, right? Where you're just resetting, reevaluating, looking at how things have gone, looking ahead, making some big audacious goals, daring to think really big things is, is frightening. I think it's a lot easier just to kind of play it safe, mm. but we are, we're not the play it safe <laughs> type of people. Well, I think, um, you know, everyone cares about what people think about them, but I think we're blessed to be at the time in our lives when, we're, we're mostly over that. We just, we know what we can do. We know what we're capable of. And I think we, Jen and I have talked about this. We, we're not doing this to impress anyone else. It's just, we're trying to prove to ourselves what we can do and we're trying to make the most of our own potential. So I'm not, I'm not scared by setting big goals because we could totally fail at them and that's okay. I'd, I'd rather set a big goal and totally fail than think small and always regret not going big. Yeah. You know? um, something else that's been happening lately is that it feels like it has been snowing for a really long time. It's been snowing just like every single day. And we live up um, kind of in the mountains. We live on the mountainside. And so we get more snow than the average folk here in Utah. And it feels like we have been getting a ton of snow, which is also really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, I really love the snow. I know a lot of people don't, but um, I just love it. I love that it makes everything look magical and clean and bright. And it makes you, you know, all cozy. Um, We're sledding down the hill in our front yard with our girls (laughs) last night. That was fun. Yeah. (laughs) I just, I love the snow. Anyway, so we today on Heart of the Home podcast, our producer, Kelton, is here. Hi, Kelton. Hello again. <laughs> Woo! Um, we always love when Kelton chimes in. He's always here, but he's a lurker. Lurker. <laughs> lurker. That's Giving Jen side eye, staring at my notebook. <laughs> no, Kelton is like, like the nerd in class who's like, oh. <laughs> Look at her giving a speech. I'm going to doodle in my notebook. We love Kelton. He's like, I don't know. I think I've said this before. Kelton is the team stag design mascot. We just love him. <laughs> He's the best. And he is here with some follower, reader, listener questions. Yeah. So this is a follow up. Um, We've done an episode like this before. And these are just some more questions that we've gotten from listeners of the podcast and readers of the blog and Instagram followers. This first one, this person wants to know, what tips do you have for making a small room feel special? So, you know, they feel less intimidated designing a big space Hmm. where maybe there's, you know, a bigger canvas, more room for creativity, but kind of honing in a smaller 
space of their home. Smaller space. Yeah. I think with smaller spaces, you have to be really intentional about every single piece. So you don't have room to just fill a space with with stuff. Um, every space, every piece, in my opinion, needs to have a purpose, needs to be very smart, um, needs to serve multiple purposes. And you shouldn't put anything that you don't really love in a small space. So if if it's a small um, bedroom, for example, is your bed a storage bed? Does it have, you know, storage that can pull out underneath? Um, is it really comfortable? Do you feel like your headboard is is really plush and comfortable because maybe you don't have additional seating spaces in your home and, and your bed needs to serve that multiple purpose. Are your nightstands, do they have drawers? Do they have plugs? Are they, you know, are they just really smart, wise pieces? Um, and then do you just really love every piece? Are there are there things that speak to you that are sentimental? Are the art pieces a mixture of you know, sort of like things that speak to your soul and also pieces that are beautiful. So that would be my main piece of advice with the small space is just to really evaluate every single piece and think about, are you getting the most bang for your buck? Is it really going the distance in your small space? Yeah, well, Jen is definitely the expert in the design area, um, but we talk a lot about kind of trends, and there's definitely a trend toward smaller homes, smaller spaces that are just much better designed. So I think back in the day, you'd have McMansions that just have so much space and so much room, and, and you have a different problem where you have to fill all of this cavernous space with stuff and make it look nice and function well. But for many, I think, good reasons, you know, people are more eco-friendly and conscious of the environment and their expenses, and there's less room in certainly bigger cities. So we're moving towards smaller and better designed homes and spaces. So I think technology is helping with that. We're able to do more with less space. So yeah, just going along with what Jen said, pick pieces and solutions that can do more with less space and and just think really intelligently about it. I will also add in if you, you know, you have to look at what you're working with. If you have a room with, you know, shorter ceilings, I would get a bed with a lower profile. I would get pieces that have lower profiles so that it makes your room feel a little bit more grand. If you have a room that that feels small to begin with, um, if you put large pieces of furniture in there, it's going to feel really small, real fast, right? You're going to feel really closed in. So I would just look for pieces that, you know, if you have a small space, smaller you know, mid-century pieces are a great place to start because mid-century furniture tends to to lean toward the smaller side. And so you can still get like a great dresser that that maybe, you know, is a six-drawer dresser instead of an eight or a 12 that just feels more proportionate to your space. So yeah, those those would be my main tips for smaller space living. Okay. I, would just, I would just add one more thing. Less is more, and that includes your stuff. Like if you've ever had the experience of packing all of your belongings into a storage unit for six months, like we've had from time to time, you realize you don't even remember that you have most of that stuff. How much let do alone, you really need? Let alone do you miss it. So we definitely err toward decluttering, removing, simplifying things. Um, so go through the hard exercise of looking at your stuff and getting rid of probably a lot of it that you don't even need or want and free yourself of all that clutter. 
I was talking with a girlfriend of mine who uh, used to live in New York City, and she just recently moved here to Utah. And, and you know, their apartment in New York was like 1,000 square feet, 1,200 square feet. And then they moved to a house here that's 8,000 square feet. So huge wow. difference, right? <laughs> and she said that it's been a huge adjustment. Like it feels cavernous and weird and like they have to just fill space where in New York, when they were living in New York, it literally was a trade-off. Like, okay, mm-hmm. we're bringing a new toy into our home. Which toy are we going to get rid of in return? There was sort yeah. of like this, okay, we can't bring anything else in. So what has to go if we're going to bring this piece in? And I think that, that sort of self-editing should be implemented no matter your space, right? Yep. Because you don't want to just have endless stuff we're going through this process right now of cleaning out our children's toys while they're at school (laughs) yeah they cannot be here for that because it does not go well if they are here every mcdonald's happy meal toy (laughs) is so precious it's so precious they will throw down over that every barbie is so precious right but if you just get rid of it while they're gone they don't even notice yeah. They literally do it. not even notice. And so we've been going through the process while they've been in school. Like, this has to go and this has to go. And I cannot nothing look at ma- this one more minute. Nothing makes me happier than throwing something away. It I just know. makes me so happy. John's much more minimal than I am. <laughs> I would say I'm pretty minimal, but John calls me a hoarder, which is not true. As a joke, mostly. There's a little bit of truth to it, but it's mostly a joke. There is no truth to it. There is no truth to it. Anyway. I, um, I wish you could all see the like light in John's eye that <laughs> glimmers when he talks about throwing things away. I know. Decluttering. It makes me so, makes me so happy. It's, a, it's a little magical. <laughs> he gets so happy. He loves throwing things away. Yes. Okay, Kelton, next question. Um, well, and um, on that topic still, that's a um, an episode topic we've been researching a little bit. And so, you know, to come in the future... Maybe more of a broad look at designing small spaces yes. and, you know, tips for that kind of stuff. Okay, next question. This person says they have a beautiful dining table that is unfinished wood, but the floors in their dining room are real wood that are dark. Would they need to redo the floors, paint the table to make this work? What are your thoughts just with that limited info? Yeah, do not go matchy-matchy would be my my biggest piece of advice. If your floors are dark... Do not go super dark on your table because it will look like a one note and it will not add contrast or interest. So if you have an unfinished table and your floors are dark, I would probably just do a clear coat, honestly. I I would not do a deep stain. I would just do a really nice clear coat or a whitewash, something that just makes it feel light and fresh. That would be my advice. What do you think? It's hard to answer that without knowing the rest of the design of the space, I imagine. But- Yeah, I think, and I'm just going off of what Jen has told me in the past, but and I've seen this play out where you can have different wood tones that go together just fine. They don't have to look the same. So, I mean, take our, if you're just looking at our house, for example, our floors are a whitewashed oak, Mm -hmm. white oak. So they're really light. And our dining table is a walnut finish. So it's darker. It looks great. It looks great. And and you, it may feel counterintuitive to you, but once you get it done, it'll just kind of blend. It'll go away. It won't be so dramatic to you. Okay. Yeah. All right. So this next question, kind of multiple parts. Um, this person says they just bought a house that was built in the early 2000s. They're itching to make some changes in the space. 
but they're concerned because they don't know how to visualize what could be. They mm. know they want to open up some rooms. They know they want to change the layout of the kitchen, but they're struggling with like understanding where could this go? Yeah. I've got, you know, I've got this blank space or this bank blank slate. How do I map it out? What are yeah. some tips? What I would suggest doing if you are just like at a loss and you don't know what to do, I would try and hone in on what style you like styles you like. And then also I would look at how your house is like certain features within your house. Maybe you have vaulted ceilings. Maybe you have a certain type of window. Maybe you have, you know, an L-shaped island and, and you want to keep that footprint. What I would do is look on Pinterest for homes that have been updated or remodeled that have similar features. Maybe you can find a house that has a similar ceiling line or uh, a similar kitchen layout or big windows like your house or something like that and and sort of pick out things that you like and things that you think work within those those similar characteristics. I think that's a great place to start because it's a lot easier to update and change a home without making so many structural changes. If you're like, but we want to make a lot of structural changes, we just don't know where to start, I would hire a designer because those are really big costly decisions and you don't want to do launch into something that's way in over your head and hate the finished product. It's a lot of money, it's a lot of time, it's a big investment. So I would I would suggest doing it right the first time. Yeah, I think what we've learned is most people in that circumstance would hire or go out and start getting bids from general contractors to start with the construction phase if they are planning to do some, you know, construction. And that's typically what you would start with is a contractor, but I would also hire a designer at that phase because people think, well, I'll hire a designer when the construction's done and we're going to be buying furniture and things. But the designer should and can have a huge impact on what the construction looks like so that it's not only picking the furniture, but it's also picking the light fixtures, the hardware, the all of the design decisions that are being made as part of the construction process, including some consultation on flow of the space and where you put walls and and um, also with an eye toward your budget and what things would be worth spending the money and what things might not be worth it. So I would say hire a designer when you're talking to contractors and do them at the same time because the designer isn't going to have to spend a ton of hours in those first phases, it's just kind of conceptualizing the design and then helping pick finishes throughout the construction process, again, isn't a ton of time, but it can have a huge impact on the end product. And just, the only other thing I'll say is I love projects like that. You go into a new home for you and you're thinking what changes you might want to make. And I love just completely freeing myself of what's there and just thinking completely from scratch. How would I you know, you do have some limitations based on what the home is, of course, but try to think completely freely of how you would want this to be laid out, how you would want it to function. And then you can add some practicality later about what's worth it to do and what's not, but just starting from what, if I could completely redo this entire home, what would I do? And I love starting from there. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's helpful, I think, to lay out your floor plan and just sort of the footprint of the house and think, okay, 
if the like just erase this is the kitchen, this is the living room, this is a bedroom, and think, okay, if I'm looking at this from space, <laughs> if I'm looking at this from above, mm-hmm. what's possible within the parameters of this room? You know, if I really want a big kitchen, who cares if this is a bedroom? Like you can move things around and make it work. Yeah, that's what we did with our current home. We we moved the kitchen about a hundred feet in into a different corner of this big space. We created it and we made it a bigger space by getting rid of a bedroom that was next to the old kitchen. And yeah, that was an expense, but it was part of an overall larger renovation. So it didn't add a significant amount to the overall renovation to move all the plumbing and everything over to a different corner of the room, but it completely changed the way that space functions. And we love the the way it looks, the way it functions, how it works for our family. So depending on the size of your renovation, you might be able to justify some of those bigger changes and it wouldn't add a a huge amount to the cost, but would completely transform your space. From a construction standpoint, are there certain things that someone should be aware of that kind of are dead ends? If they're thinking, oh, I want to open this up or move this there. What are some things that they should maybe have in the back of their mind that you know, an architect or a general contractor would come to them and say, yeah, that's that's not going to be an option. Or if it is an option, it's going to cost you, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars Structural changes. Yeah. Usually it's not that it's impossible. It's just that it would be so expensive. It's probably not worth it. And so it depends on, again, the size of the renovation. Uh, but if you're moving load bearing walls, that's a really big decision because it typically involves some pretty big structural changes to the home, which may or may not be worth the expense of doing that based on the project. So it's fairly easy to move around interior walls that are not load-bearing. It's a much bigger deal to move load-bearing walls. So that's probably the easiest. That requires, you know, an architect. It requires a structural engineer. It requires, it just requires a lot more. May require digging down and putting in footings. Yeah, it's a lot. To support the weight of where you're going to redistribute it. Um, Yeah. So we actually moved some load bearing walls in our renovation, but we were removing exterior walls and redoing the roof line. And so it made sense for our renovation and it didn't add a a huge amount to the cost because of the context of what we were doing for the rest of the home. But if you're not embarking on a big enough renovation, removing a load bearing wall may not be worth doing. Along those same lines though, we've had properties before. I can think of a investment property that we have that had a pole sticking in the middle of the basement like there's just a pole mm-hmm. <laughs> down there uh, holding up a load-bearing ceiling beam. And we were like, this is just not going to work. Like, we've got to move this pole out of the way. can't design the whole basement around this pole. Right. It's right in the middle of the floor. Like, we have to find a way around it. And so um, it did require getting a structural engineer, remapping things. Yep. Um, it was possible, but it it did take some work still, even though we weren't you know, we didn't have to dig extra footings or anything like that, but it did. Well, take... actually we did. Oh, we did? <laughs> I put oh. in a footing for that one. Well, it took some manipulation of the space in order to clear out even that one pole. You may think, well, let's just move this pole out of the way, right? Yeah. Like a lot of basements have like random load bearing poles in the middle of the floor. Yeah. And so it, it just takes, uh, it takes a professional. And that, that's actually a good example because that was a much smaller renovation and it was a pain to move that pole, but um, the actual cost of doing it wasn't huge. 
and it was possible to do. So we did it. I mean, we just priced it out and, and we made sure that we had the budget for it and we did it, but it allowed us to completely reconfigure the space. So I would say that nothing is impossible. It's just a question of how much it's going to cost and whether it's worth it for that project. And then the last part of this question, they say, you know, if I'm planning to do maybe one space in my home at a time, how do I make sure I have a clear vision so that in the end, it all ties together? Mm -hmm. And I think you've kind of answered this, you know, maybe bringing in a designer in the very beginning who can kind of help you set the stage for what do I want this to be in the end? And, you know, they don't have to be involved in the project the whole time. But there are key points when they're there to help you. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is a huge part of our design philosophy. Um, as a design firm, this is one of our main design principles is making sure that a home is cohesive. And so before we even start a project, we come up with what we call a we have a directional meeting with the client and make sure that the direction of the home is heading in a place we all agree on, we all like, and then that's our guiding force. Really, we start with one space, um, what we call the heart of the home. We start with that one space, come up with a direction, and then that one space spreads throughout the rest of the home and and we use it as sort of a guiding force. So um, yeah, I think hiring a designer, even if it's just to come up with that direction for you, I feel like is is worth every penny. I've had clients tell me, hiring a designer saved me so much money and time and emotional (laughs) waste, you know, because it's, it's stressful. It's overwhelming. And I think for somebody who doesn't do this all the time, designing a beautiful, cohesive home feels like a mammoth that you're trying to chew out one bite at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Talking with a lot of people doing projects, we don't necessarily experience this because we are, you know, you're an interior designer. I'm, I have a lot of experience in construction, but I know for most people who don't have that experience, doing a project like this is incredibly stressful. And there are a lot of reasons for that. It's a lot of money. It's some uncertainty about how things are going to come together in uncertainty about how you're going to deal with problems as they arise and all that. But I think a big source of stress is just the constant decision-making has to be made. And worrying that you're going to make the wrong decision. I'm going to pick the wrong color carpet and end up hating how this space looks. I'm going to end up picking the slightly off version of the color palette for the paint and hate it. I think the stress that comes from worrying about getting design decisions wrong is a huge source of stress for most people. And so having a good designer with you right from the beginning, I think, can really, frankly, reduce the stress you feel throughout the project. Yeah, it's always interesting because John... Of pretty frequently will come home from his day job and say, so-and-so at the office is doing a kitchen remodel and they're wondering if you can offer advice on this. Or <laughs> so-and-so is doing this kind of project and has asked me X, Y, and Z. And it's because it's so scary. And, yeah. and a designer, if nothing else, offers that validation and mm-hmm. that assurance that the decision that you're making is a good one or like, no, maybe you need to consider a different direction. It, it's, you know, even if you don't need like a full-fledged design, you know, some often projects are just sort of consulting and, and yeah. we're just sort of being that sounding board and assurance of, yes, this is going to look awesome. Or, you know, I don't think this is going to end up the way that you want it to. Let's rethink a few things. Yeah, because if you're launching into a project where you're spending a lot of money on a renovation and then design of a space that's a huge investment and 
you can either be really happy with the end product or not happy at all. And the, really the difference between the two is typically your design decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There you go. Okay. And one last question today. In a previous Q&A, we talked about painting and refinishing furniture pieces. But this person specifically is wondering, they say they have a black entertainment center that's really big. They like the piece. They like the way it looks. They like the way it fits, but they want it to look different. But because it's so big, it kind of feels overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And so they're just wondering, you know, if you have any tips specifically for a large piece of furniture that you want to refinish. I would look at the quality of the piece very first. Um, if this is a really quality piece of furniture or it's a, it's a vintage piece, then it's worth refinishing. And so um, the place that I would start with that is looking at the price of the piece. If it's a really nice piece, it's worth it to pay a professional painter, in my opinion, just to make sure that it's done right. If it's not a very quality piece, maybe you got it at a big box furniture store, maybe it's older, I think just get a really nice primer and a really high quality paint. You can probably do it yourself good enough mm -hmm. to last for a while. But the, the paint you pick is crucial. It's a big difference, right? Like yeah. we really recommend getting a really high quality paint. Um, we've talked on here before. This is not sponsored, by the way. We just really like this paint. Uh, Benjamin Moore has a line called Advance that we really like mm -hmm. um, for painting wood and furniture and cabinets and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, and picking the right paint is crucial because you can't go and get a standard paint that goes on the wall and put it on furniture and expect it to turn out well. That paint is just not designed for that. So it will not look good and, and feel good. What I would suggest doing is going to a paint store and really picking the brain of a painter that's experienced that's there or hiring a professional painter and, and really drilling them on what you want the paint to accomplish. But if it's just you painting it, the expert at the paint store would probably be good. Just yeah. Just really ask a lot of questions. Don't be afraid to second guess and ask questions and you want it to turn out as well as, as it can. Yeah. Um, and another thing that would be good to spruce up a piece of furniture that you're refinishing or repainting is switching out the hardware. I always think that's a good way to just give it a fresh look, make it look a little bit different. Go get some really pretty knobs. So I have a question for you, Jen, as the designer. How yeah. often How often do you see entertainment centers anymore? Because those, I think, when I think entertainment center, I think the really large piece of furniture that was meant to house the really heavy TV that weighed 600 pounds and needed this huge space. And now we have thin, light TVs that go on the wall. So how often do you see um, entertainment centers even working in spaces anymore? I think the more common entertainment center is not what you're thinking. I think it's more of like a console Right. Like people mm -hmm. are doing entertainment consoles, which look more like a piece of furniture underneath their TV um, or they're doing some sort of built in situation with maybe cabinet doors that that, you know, hide the TV. But, yeah, I think like the stand, the freestanding large entertainment center that has like bookshelves on the sides and then on top above the TV, the whole surround I'm not seeing many of those anymore. I don't know if you. I mean, I've are. seen some that are good. Yeah, I've seen some that are good. Um, and they're often pieces that you buy for maybe a rental or something less permanent where you want the look of built-ins, but you can't do built-ins. Yeah. Sometimes you would, you would go that direction. Um, I've seen some that are good. I've seen some that are good. But I think 
what you have in your mind. Let me preface this by saying John tends to have visceral reactions to things relating Strong. to pieces in his head from his childhood. <laughs> he had, you know, some people have like mommy or daddy issues. John has um, furniture issues. Yes. Right. Sure. Yeah. Like you tend to kind of have like this knee jerk reaction when you hear certain trigger trigger words <laughs> and maybe entertainment center is a trigger word for you. Maybe who knows? We can dig into that later. Maybe. But sometimes it takes a little like me showing him something that proves him wrong in this area. And then he kind of is like, well, okay, okay. that's why I've learned okay. to trust Jen's expertise in design. And I just, I work on the projects. Yeah, but I I will say, well, I I don't know if I should share this story. No, I shouldn't share it. Uh, who knows? When we were first <laughs> married, when we were first married, we had a um a canopy bed because oh, it was yes. my bed when when I was single. Right, we had this canopy. I bed. stand behind what I said. And by the way. oh my gosh, this just gives you a little insight into his visceral reactions to things. <laughs> so we were in this teeny little apartment, two bedroom apartment, totally low budget. It was like. I don't want to say it was ghetto. It was it was okay. It was fine. We were poor college students. It was clean. It was really clean and cutely styled, yes, might I add. It was. Yeah. So anyway, we had this canopy bed and we had nowhere to hang laundry when it was drying except around the canopy bed. And I had no choice. I had to dry it somewhere, John. <laughs> but one night we were laying in bed and there was laundry hanging, drying on this canopy bed. And John was like, I feel like I'm a pig wallowing in my own feces. <laughs> I can't handle this. There's two, I can't handle these clothes hanging on the hanging on the Obviously canopy bed. an exaggeration for effect, but <laughs> I don't think many people would disagree that sleeping in a bed surrounded by your drying clothes is an ideal situation. <laughs> I'm moving on. Anyway, okay, Kelton, other things? No, nope, that's it. That's it. Yeah. So I'm ready to slink back into the shadows again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We hope you gained some inspiration, some insight that this gave you a little bit of know-how to tackle those design projects. And as always, we'd love to work with you. If you have a, a project that you're unsure how to tackle, you can shoot us an email, clients at stag-design.com. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Jennifer Stagg, and you've been listening to The Heart of the Home. I hope you'll subscribe, review, and rate this podcast, and tune in next episode for more Heart of the Home. Thank you so much for listening.